This is the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Hello, 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 Oilers fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. I've, uh, right off the get-go, we are, uh, we're super stoked to be introducing our third host, Michael Farley. We talked with uh, Michael quite a bit last year, a couple times on our podcast, a couple times on yours. You're covering the Dallas Stars on the Hockey Podcast Network, but you've made the great decision of switching over to your favorite team and going to cover the Edmonton Oilers for season two. So uh, thanks for thanks for joining us, man. We're, we're stoked to have you. Hey man, I'm excited to be here. Like like you said, I uh, I was the host of the Dallas podcast for the Hockey Podcast Network, but don't let anyone listening to that get them confused. The Oilers were still number 1 in my heart the whole time. <laughs> All right, it was purely business. It was an incredible run. I will say that. I had a lot of fun, but uh I'm I'm ready to get started and uh talk about these Oilers. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things when we were bringing you on where it was like, I kind of wanted to ask you about Dallas, but I'm like, also like, eh, you know what, they lost and like, we're here to talk about the Oilers. But at least it wasn't like, you know, you're covering a team that that wasn't your favorite team and you didn't even you did you have a Dallas tie like before season one started at all or no? I have some family that's out in like the Midwest and okay. most of the hockey out in the Midwest is run by the stars organization. So like a little bit and, and, and obviously my dad, when, when he was a big Oilers fan uh, and when I was little, uh, the stars were the hate one, one of the big rivals for the Oilers as well. So uh, when I was a kid, I just remembered the stars and Marty Turco uh, specifically just being the bane of my father's existence. Yeah. But you didn't have any like ties, so it was just kind of like they're available. Yeah, other than that, a little bit of a tie. no, no, because at the at the beginning of the season before I joined the Hockey Podcast Network, they asked me I had a choice between Nashville, New Jersey, or Dallas. Yeah. And at the time, I I had, I ruled out Nashville, and it was between New Jersey and Dallas. Because at the time, if you remember, right before the season started, they just had drafted number one overall. They'd signed, they traded for Sue Ban. They brought they in Gusev. A lot of people. Yeah. They signed Wayne Simmons. A lot of people were really excited about the New Jersey Devils. So there was probably a, a good week where I was sitting there, like, you know what? Maybe I'll take the Devils for a second. Yeah. Thank God I did it. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things we've always one said. One finished like, bottom of the table, bottom of the table, and the other one loses in the Stanley Cup Finals. Like that's a yeah, pretty good trade. You made the right decision there for sure. It's one of those things. I know me and Kyle have said <laughs> like so. cr- credit to the guys that cover teams that they're not like childhood fan fans of. But I can't even imagine being like like it'd be one thing talking about a different team. It'd be a whole other thing if they were a bottom feeder. Like because at least if the Oilers are bad we all have that tie of like, we still genuinely hope they turn it around. We're still excited about the future. But like, if I'm covering like Ottawa and I don't give a shit about Ottawa, I mean, when they're bad, that's going to be a tough bloody thing to do. But yeah, no credit, uh, credit where credit is due. I mean, good for you for, for doing a good job of running Dallas for the year, but happy to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, it, it was fun, and and like you said, the, I'm I'm glad that they ended up pulling it together and and sort of going on a fun run there because at the beginning of the season, 
Uh, stars didn't look so good, and I thought exactly what was going to happen. I was going to be sitting there talking about a bottom-feeding team that I didn't care about for a whole year. Uh, but luckily, now, hopefully, I-, I don't have to do that anymore. Especially with doing, like, an episode or two a week. Just, like, it's, like, January, and you're mm-hmm. talking about, like, yeah. oh, who might Dallas draft in fucking July or June? Like, <laughs> that's less than ideal. Yeah, but. especially with COVID, with COVID, COVID as well that hit, that it would have been a bad year if they were bad. Yeah, that would not have been fun. Um, Kyle, let's, uh, I, I, sorry, we're not trying to talk over here. Let's, let's flip you over. What, what have you got to look forward to on this episode there, bud? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if it's looking forward to anything, but I've got to pay up for my bet against Hockey Troll that we did earlier in the season. Uh, If anybody that doesn't know, uh, around what, late March, early April, back when COVID was first becoming a thing and everything was shut down, he put up a bet on our group chat between the network, basically asking who thought the Stanley Cup was going to get awarded this season. Me, as well as Arizona and John at one point before he somehow switched his bet. Uh, <laughs> all have to drink three beers now or shotgun, shotgun three beers. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I guess here goes one. I got one cut open and ready to go. So fucking let's let's do it. Uh, and there it goes down the hatch. Smooth number one of three. Ooh. There you go. I uh, <laughs> we were chatting before, and I, Kyle, you were under the impression that you had to do them consecutively, right? I, you were probably a little bit worried about that because. Oh man, like, I was I ready to be like, right. I'm just going to do them quick and then run to the bathroom. Fucking just spew it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there was no way I was going to keep that much foam in my body. Yeah. No, there's like, I, I honestly can't, I don't know if I've ever shotgun three consecutively. I've done two, but they might not for years, but like, yeah, man, that's, that's a yikes, but we'll, we're going to see how we will give you a little bit of a break and you'll do another one. And then we'll do one at the end, I'm guessing, is kind of the plan. I guess so, yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, <laughs> unless you guys have anything else you'd like to add, let's let's get into this Oilers talk. There's a lot of uh, lot going on with free agency, and we haven't done an episode since the draft, but we'll uh, we'll start with free agency because, I I've, mean, that's the most recent I've thing. I've been waiting a whole thing. year for this, boys. I've been yeah. waiting a whole year for this, boys. <laughs> let's uh, Let's get into it here. So... I'm going to, I'm going to turn to both of you here. First, first opinions. What What's the opening takes here on Oilers free agency? I'm just going to do a quick rundown of kind of the, the, uh, the signings that Ken Holland has made as far as the NHL signings. And then we'll flip it over to you guys and see, uh, see what, see what your initial opinions are. So first move was Yessi Pugliarvi signing at two years for 1.175 million, something that was kind of rumored for months. And I mean, even a year, and finally pulled the trigger on. We signed Kyle Turris, expected to fill that three, third line center hole, two years at $1.65 million per. We signed, we signed Tyler Ennis at one year for $1 million. Uh, bottom six, kind of top nine, left winger. I believe he has a little bit of center experience, but more or less a left winger. And then we signed puck-moving defenseman, offensive puck-moving defenseman, Tyson Berry, for a one-year $3.75 million deal. And we re-signed Mike Smith at a one-year $1.5 million with a $500,000 in potential performance bonuses. So we'll, uh, we'll, do the, uh, we'll give the, the, uh, the first opening to the new guy here, Kyle, and then we'll jump over to you. Michael, what was your, what was your initial thoughts so far on free agency? Uh, well, I was drinking the Kool-Aid 
uh, all of the first morning of uh, free agency day. I was all in. Uh, I saw the tourist signing. I actually, I saw that they did, they do like the graphics of like, who's a free agent before they're signed, right? On Instagram and stuff like that. And they're like, this person's a free agent. This person's a free agent. And so I saw Kyle Turst was a free agent. And I actually sent that one to my dad. And I was like, Oilers question mark. And then they went out and did it. And I thought I was a genius. Um, <laughs> and so, I, but I was just getting more and more excited. It was like, Pooley Harvey, oh my goodness, he's back. Tourists, he's back. I was just getting hyped, hyped, hyped. And then Mike Smith, and it kind of halted my my excitement a little bit. But I mean, uh, just looking at it, I think overall, like, I don't like Mike Smith. I, I don't like it. That's my first take. All right, first take on the podcast. I don't like Mike Smith. That's number one. But I think overall, other than that, like I'm extremely excited. I say I will say though, one disappointment that I think I'm gonna have um, is with the signing of Kyle Turris and the bottom sixers. I do think the Oilers are really, really going to miss Riley Shahan. It was something that was kind of weird on Riley Shahan, where there wasn't any like firm reports, but there were a lot of rumors that more or less he wasn't happy with what the Oilers had offered him. Like that, that was the rumors going around that there was an offer on the table. Obviously, we're not going to get the details on that, but I really like if he wants a payday, nothing against Riley Sheehan, because I like him and I agree with you there, Michael. But do do we really think that he, he was deserving of a big pay raise? I don't know about a big pay raise, but like. I think what he did for us last year was very admirable. And I don't think he was talked about enough from an Oilers fan standpoint. I think like, listen, we all know who the stars of our forward group are, right? Like the, the whole league knows who the stars of our forward group are, but I think what he was able to do um, on a nightly basis, just like without any thanks from the fans, I think for most points, just like on the penalty kill and stuff like that. And just from a defensive bottom six role, I think he's going to be sorely missed and something that a lot of Oilers fans probably overlooked from last season. Yeah. I, I, I mean, don't think you're wrong. I agree. Where I like him here. I feel like he, I feel like he did quite a bit for our team last year. He was one of the standout bottom sixers, especially mm-hmm. like you said on the, the, uh, the penalty kill. Right. Uh, I do disagree though. I think a lot of fans did recognize what he did for the team and that he will be missed on the team. I, I, I like um, if he can't be there, I think that will, find someone that can replace him he's not one of those players that i'm willing to overpay for not that i think that he was looking for a huge pay raise by any means but i mean if he has to be one of the people that's cut it kind of is what it is like that's the position of those players unfortunately as it is i I would like to keep him though too michael like i thought he played excellent throughout the entire season and at, at certain points in certain games he was he was one of the best players on the ice defensively so yeah so I want to flip. I'm going to ask you guys this question. So two years at 1.65 million, because our depth chart right now, unless you're moving Kara out and planning on playing Haas on the wing or as your 13th forward, there's at at this point, there's not room for Shahan. So at two years, 1.65 million, who would you rather have Kyle Turris or Riley Shahan? Do you want me to go or Michael to go? Sorry, my bad moderator go ahead go ahead go ahead go ahead Cal. <laughs> I, I, I mean i'm taking tourists yeah i think so He's, i think I, I think i am too i think i am too the offensive upside yeah. is kind of where i'm leaning yeah. on that like i agree with the two of you it's like i think i think shahan and i mean as long as our penalty kill can adjust and and someone can fill that role of shahan i mm-hmm. i have 
I, I think it's pretty clear. And I liked the way that Cheyenne played played. I and I think the thing is, is like when you look at that, you know, our our bottom six, really their job has been to not get outscored. And and they've improved on that, but they're still failing. Like they're still giving up more at five on five than they're creating. But I do think at at long tenures of last year. Riley Shahan anchoring that third line, they did outpossess and really control the possession in the offensive zone for a, for good stretches last year. So I think he will be missed, but I think I'd rather take the risk on Kyle Turris of, hey, he might not bounce back to that 50-point guy, but he's got a lot more offensive upside, especially considering when you when you factor in that, you know, it didn't seem like a great system fit in Nashville. And now he's coming into a different role where like, hey, you're not expected to be that top six center. We, we've got those guys like we, we've got we've got McDavid, we've got Drysaddle and we've got new two plays on the wing and, and can also fill in. So like even if one of those duo gets hurt, knock on wood here, he's still not asked to be that top six center, which I think is a much better situation. And and obviously it's kind of a situation where it's fingers crossed that he can regain some of that offensive upside. I think that, like, I mean, he still put up 31 points last season, which is pretty decent. And I think, like you said, now he's going to get probably – he'll probably get, like, a decent look on one of the power play units, probably the second one, I would assume. Um, But so he'll get get a small amount of PK time – or of penalty – a power play time, excuse me. And, you know, but I think that – so I think his numbers will go up. But I worry, like you said, losing Shahan. They had a lot of possession. Shahan was a was a really solid possession player, and we know Turris isn't really right. He he, there's that defensive side that, that is a little bit lacking from his game. So now my worry is, so we don't want to be we're trying we don't want our bottom six to be outscored, and we know Turris himself can do it. But who are we playing with Turris to make sure that he's not like? I don't know, maybe not him specifically, but how do we stop that line from giving up offensive chances of their own? Because well, that, that, that's my biggest worry is our third line might score a lot more goals, but I feel like they're going to get third scored on more. Well, see, that that's where I agree with Michael too. Having that defensively responsible center in Shaham is a plus when we're looking at getting Pooley back and chances are he's going to be starting the season on the third line, getting looks in the top six for sure but primarily playing there. He's even quoted saying he's happy to play there and work through the lineup now, which is awesome. So having a defensively responsible center probably would have been good for his development, but I don't think that tourist necessarily is a bad fit too, but they're going to have to have somebody on that line that is defensively responsible because it's, it's going to be ugly having Pugliarvi and at least what we know of him. So and what do you guys expect yeah. then to see as line mates for Turris? I think my personal opinion, I don't maybe maybe you play Pugliarvi Turris, that's the offensive side, and then from a defensive side, my mind immediately goes to Josh Archibald. Right. And and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh is he's obviously primarily a right winger as is Pugliarvi, but Archibald did play a little bit on the left side, is that correct? Off the top of my head? I don't remember. I think he's like shown there, but yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's Every something time like, I remember it, him, it's interesting. Been... And I mean, I'll add another name into the hat there. What do you think about Tyler Ennis? I mean, he's a guy that similar to Puyarvi is going to get some top six time, but 
He's also probably. I'd be happy with Ennis there time. as long as somebody's slotting in in the first line because that's kind of like who who right now is McDavid's wing. I mean, unless we do another I, signing, so I think I think you can you can you can work with it. I think that's one of the upsides now mm-hmm. of having Ennis and Pugliarvi is you can be like, all right, we're going to try Ennis there because that seemed to work pretty well uh, late in the season once we had Ennis. And you can try it. And if it doesn't work there, we know Ennis can also get the job done lower in the lineup. And we go, all right, Pugliarvi, here you go. Play with McDavid, see how it works. And then you can you can sort of, you know, mess around with that and see uh, what fits and what doesn't. Maybe you do it on like a every other week, depending on who's playing well at the time. And I mean, so let's stop at the yeah. let's start at the top six and move back. So you know Connor McDavid is your first line center. You know Leon Draisaitl is your second line center. I mean, second slash first line just on based off how good that line can be. And I mean, are we all in, in agreement that Kyler Yamamoto is more or less locked in on Draisaitl's wing? A hundred percent. Yeah. Until disagree? that line absolutely tanks, there's no way that that's getting split up. Okay, so let's move forward there. Yeah, so we I, also I, know- I agree. I don't know why we didn't see it as much in yeah. the game against Chicago. The player around, the series against Chicago. That, that drive critique. drove me nuts. Yeah. And you saw that in the last 15 minutes of the last game, and it was something where like that line once reconnected really stepped in and and dominated more or less. I mean, I, I off the top of my head, I don't think they produced a ton in that last period, but still I I, I think myself and right there. The other Oilers fans as as well are with you, Michael, where, I mean, we know that Yamamoto, Dreisaitl, and Nuge are a dominant line until proven otherwise. So Mm -hmm. let's start with that as your second line. So you know Nuge is in your top six on left wing, so right now we're projecting him as that second line winger. So who are your guys' first, second, and maybe even third candidates for the wingers with with? Uh, McDavid I'll start and I, I think opening night you start with Zach Cassian you see if you can kind of reconnect a little bit of that chemistry that you saw in the first half of last season and because just because I think you need to gauge where Zach is at and then I'm going to start with Tyler Ennis I, I think he's my guy opening night what about you guys uh, I, I'm uh, not far behind you. I think I think that's the right idea. I don't think I think just at purely on principle, you can't have Pugliarvi that high in the lineup yet. Um, just just purely on you know all the stuff he he put the Oilers through, and I think that might be a little unfair. But I think you know Pugliarvi's sort of been frustrating for Oilers management and Oilers fans. So I think. You have to, have to, have to. Unless you make another signing, you start with the guys that were on the team. You give Ennis a look. You give Cassian a look. And then if maybe that doesn't work, you look to to put Pugliarvi up there. But I think you're spot on. I think that opening night, you give it to Cassian and Ennis with McDavid. Kyle, where are you at? Well, I'm. Bob Stoffer tweeted his projected lineup that was going to be for post-free agency. Right. And that's exactly what he has. He has Ennis McDavid and Cassian as the first line. Second, nude, dry sail yams. Third, Arch, Tourist, Pugliarvi. And the fourth, Neil Haas and Chase on, which I don't know how you really disagree with that. The backups, I mean, other than the backups rotating in on the fourth line with Nygaard, uh, Kara, and Patrick Russell. 
Oh, sorry. So Haas was the fourth um, line center in Stoffer's project projections. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't dislike that. I think the only thing is when getting back to what we were talking about with Shahan, um, and I, I like Haas, but as much as Kara can be frustrating, he is a good penalty killer. Like the, the metrics from last yeah. year show that he's an elite penalty killer. So I, I mean, opening night rosters are always one of those things where like, you know, adjustments are coming. So I, I don't strongly disagree with that. Yeah. But, but I do wonder if Kara is the the first guy at fourth line, fourth line center, excuse me. But I, I don't really have issues with either of those decisions, to be honest. But so, I don't think that lineup is going to change much. Or I mean, it's not getting any better without some sort of, you know, goal scoring left wing coming into the lineup. That's primarily what this lineup needs now. I, I, the one thing that we haven't talked about, which I'm sure you're going to go into after two, is designing a Barry. Right. Which, I mean, what a steal. Like, we have to talk about that. One year, 3.75, which is great for both him and our team. It allows us to have Bouchard mentor down in the AHL for another season still be a call up that can go up and down and risk an injury but he's that offensive defenseman that we're going to need if cleft bomb isn't there which it's looking like it's not going to happen so I mean fuck the guy he had um I had it saved here sorry um he had six points in the first 22 games of last year with Toronto with Mike Babcock as the coach and when Sheldon Keefe came in after Babcock was fired, he held a 55-point pace for the rest of the season. He scored 33 points in the remaining 48 games. Which is great for a defenseman. It's great. Fantastic Absolutely defenseman. fantastic. His previous two highs over uh, over the past two seasons before that were like his career highs, sorry, 59 points the year before in 1819, and then 57 in 17-18. So he was still on pace for one of his career highs where people were talking about how he was the partner that McKinnon, you know, like got off with at first. Um, so I'm super happy to see him coming towards Edmonton and seeing what he can add to our back end because that's been our major problem on the defensive side too, is the puck moving where we seem to be fine at defense, but when we have to play defense, you know, the majority of the game, it, it, it unfortunately is going to have pucks go into our net. Well, and so, I'm, I'm going to say who's playing defense with him though. Like who is actually playing defense though? That's it, see that they, that's, that's going to have to be Larson. They're complete opposites. I think they'd be a great pairing together with who well, I was nurse and bear, which was one of our better pairings because when bear played offensive, he allowed nurse to focus more on defense instead of having to be the guy. If they can be a solid second pairing. I mean, that's a top four I'm happy with. So, so then you guys are telling me, what you're, what you're saying right now is Chris Russell is still on your opening night lineup. I mean, it's I tough mean, to not. Okay, so let, yeah. let's back up here, boys. So I, I've got to... I, okay. I, I ranted I and went <laughs> off, but yeah. No, 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 no. I think that's a good point, but I, I want to make one thing just because I know this is going to get buried. So you you talk about... You you had a quick mention there, Kyle, of pun? Bouchard having another year in the AHL. So... I want to take a step back. So our right D right now on the opening night roster are Larson bear. Assuming he gets signed, he's an RFA. There's no way he's not going to get re-signed and sorry, Larson bear and Barry. So we know that Tippett likes to keep right. He's on the right left. He's on the left. He's not firm, firm in that, but very much of the time he is doing that. So 
when we look at Bouchard, and I know a lot of Oilers fans look at this and say, you know, everyone is expecting him to make the jump before Clefbaum went down. And I've had, I had the thought as well, where it was like, now you bring Barry in and you've not created a log jam, but you've, you've created an impedance for Bouchard to enter the lineup. But the other thing is, is if you look at Adam Larson, so, and I'm going to look at all the right hand D of games played. So since he's joined Edmonton, he has two games where he, or two seasons where he's missed less than five games. And he has two seasons, including last season where he's missed 20 games. So th- there's likely, I mean, especially with his, that he had back problems in the play in round, that's a likely situation where he's going to miss some time. Now you look at Tyson Berry, he's been very much healthy the majority of his career, where he had one year in Colorado where he played less than 70 games, and that was at 68. Everything else is 70 or more, so less than 12 games missed. Ethan Bear has played all the games in the NHL that he's been on the NHL roster for, and he had one year in Bakersfield where he was hurt for about half the year. But that that's another thing I like, where it's like, Holland has done such a perfect job on that right side of the D. I don't want to say perfect, but such a good job of this isn't really impeding Bouchard because you know he's going to get in there. But it's also you're not relying on Bouchard to be your a top six defenseman for 82 games next year, which I think is awesome. Now, I want to go back to another thing you said, Kyle. So when you were saying that Larson was the ideal pairing i had kind of missed what you said before so were you saying that barry and larson were your primo second pairing right now in your eyes i mean they just fit each other right barry gets slacked on for being so offensive and having no defensive game whereas i don't disagree larson is probably our best defensive defenseman right so so I, this is going to tie into kind of what Michael said. So the only reason I, I disagree with that is that they're both righties. And I do think that, mm-hmm. that I, Tippett was, is yeah. going to try to separate them. So the the downside of our defense right now, the way it's constructed, is you have... We don't know what's going to happen Russell. with William Lagason, But <laughs> for anyone that might not have caught that, Michael Farley said Chris Russell is the problem. But let's get into that. But you, you've got... I, I don't want Chris Russell here. I don't want him here. Fire him into the sun. He's not good. (laughs) Just a second. So you have your right D is those three guys I mentioned in Bouchard. Your left D is Nurse, assuming Clefbaum is out for a majority of the year, if not the year. And then you have Jones, you have Russell, and then William Lagason is your RFA. So the downside of this is you have potentially four NHL right D that None of them have experience playing the left side in my, in, in, from what I understand. And you have three guys on the left where Jones has played the right side a lot in the AHL and Chris Russell has played both. I know Michael has his reservations about Chris Russell here, but <laughs> realistically, Michael, I know Chris Russell is not a perfect defenseman, but the dude is key to the penalty kill. And when you look at a left side D of Nurse Jones without Chris Russell, I mean, is that a left side D that we're confident that is not going to be a liability in their own zone? Like, I I know Chris Russell doesn't add a lot on defense. I know that, man. I know he doesn't move the puck. I know he doesn't do those things. But is he a guy with while losing Clefbaum? Like, if Clefbaum is in the lineup, I would... 1000% 1000% agree with you. I just don't know if he's a guy that's expendable 
And maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Oh, sorry for ranting. Michael, hit me with your with your take. I mean, listen, when when you bring out the names like that, and, and you're totally right. Listen, I don't like... Uh, I, I'm also the type of guy that I like to keep my right is on my right, my left is on my left. But I also am the type of guy that when I play NHL, and I know that's a lot of <laughs> this is very different. When I play <laughs> NHL, go. I like to I like I like to make sure that all my defensive pairings are open up for one timers. Okay, so that being said, Chris Russell brings nothing to the defense except he blocks shots. However, Dude, he scored that I would unreal be the one time against Toronto you. two years ago. Do you not remember that one time? <laughs> oh, yes, and then I'll remind you that in that same game, he scored on us with less than a minute left to lose oh, that good game. Recall. So... Good recall there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I don't know. I Like, I'm not... I like Jones, I think, is going to be good. I don't know if he's ready for a top six role. I think Bear is. Like you said, Bear plays with Nurse. Bear can be the offensive one. So I don't worry about Bear's defensive game. And to be honest, I think a lot of the mistakes he made last season are were just a lot of inexperienced mistakes. So I think that as he gets older and he's one more season through, he had a strong, you know, like, he, he's got the experience now from that, that series versus Chicago as well. So I, I think that at, we're going to see Bear just get better and better uh, as he takes those inexperienced mistakes out of his game. So I don't worry about Bear. Um, I think, I think there's a big question mark Jones, around. Yeah, so there, there's a big question mark around Jones. I, I don't know if he's ready for that top six. And then we have Chris Russell. And that just doesn't, that does not fill me with confidence. So then by that line of thinking, you have to bring one of your stronger right defensemen over. Don't play Chris Russell and bring in Bouchard. I mean, I don't a hundred percent disagree with you. I will disagree that I think Jones is ready for the top six. Say it again. I, I I will disagree that I don't think or that I do think that Caleb Jones is ready for a top six role. I think he showed you. Th- you you think games. he's he's ready? Yeah. I think Caleb Jones is ready. Not for, sorry, are we talking top four or are we talking in the lineup? I'm not saying top four. Like Caleb Jones on a third pair is fine with me. Yeah, so Caleb Jones on a third pair is okay okay with me. But now you're telling me that, right, because if you're saying Caleb Jones is going to play third pairing, Chris Russell is now our first pairing defenseman? Well, no, I think it's Nurse and Bear on the first pairing. Oh. It's got to be Nurse and Bear you right think, now, so, in my opinion. So, Nurse, Bear, and then you yeah. have Larson and who? Because Clefbaum's not here. So, so who are you playing with Larson? So, l- let me lay out my lineup. So, playing, I have Nurse, Bear. I have Nurse, Bear. I have Larson, Jones, and I have Barry, Russell. That's... Uh, oh, <laughs> no. no. And let me elaborate. Oh, no. So, no, here, here, here right up. Let's look at that lineup. You have one guy on that lineup and in every pairing that can move the puck. You have Ethan Bear and Nurse who like, I are we going to get any arguments there? I think that's a pairing that proved themselves this last year. Nurse is not a perfect player, nor is Bear, but I think they, they're compatible and they add enough to each other. So then you look at Jones and Larson. Now, Larson, when he's on, and that's another whole other topic that I'm going to get into. I'm a big Larson fan when he's on. He hasn't been on in some time, but... 
I look at Caleb Jones where he adds the skating. Larson is an underrated skater. He's not a plus plus skater by any means, but he can he can skate. But Jones can also move the puck as long as he's continuing to progress. That's the biggest question mark. And then you look at Barry, and I mean, Barry does not defend well. Like, I'm excited for this puck-moving defenseman that we've added, but why not put him in a situation where you can move the puck and you have a guy that can't move the puck but can defend behind you or beside you? Like, I'm. these are both poor man situations of what I'm about to compare this to, but let's look at San Jose before they brought in Eric Carlson. You had Brent Burns putting up 80 fucking points as a right-hand D. The guy was practically a first-line center as a right-hand D. Then you have Vlasic with him, and Vlasic's a great D-man, but he's more of a defensive guy. He's the one filling in when Burns is going up on his crazy rushes when in the, in the event that he doesn't score. So why not put Barry in a situation where it's like, you can, you can have that leash because you have Russell filling in. That, that's where I'm at. Neither of those players are as good as Brent Burns and Vlasic when they were in their prime, but they're similar. So styles, that's why I, I like the, I actually, that's why I like Kyle's idea of moving Barry to the left and having him play with Larson then, because then you take, I think that, I think it'll be stronger because I think if you expect Barry to elevate his game, with Chris Russell as his pairing, even if Chris Russell is filling in the defensive hole, I don't think Chris Russell is going to be able to elevate the game or, or isn't going to be, allow Barry to elevate his game to where we want it. Where I think if we play him with a really strong defensive partner like Larson, he'll be able to elevate his game a lot higher with a stronger partner. Agreed. And that doesn't need to be the first pairing, but I mean, <clears throat> exactly. Top exactly. four it rotated it in with Nurse and Bear. Like, I think that's what it should be. Uh, and, and I don't think Clefbaum is fantastic defensively either i think larson d- does a lot of what you're saying for clefbaum uh so i I, I think he's a lot better defensively yeah. than barry for sure but I, I think there'd be the same sort of idea with that pairing and then you can with run the addition of the puck moving that we brought him in for right like, exactly exactly yeah. and then you can run a jones russell pairing which i have a lot more confidence in defensively because i think jones is better defensively than um than barry as well but i think jones just being younger will complement russell better i i think I, that's it's it's just a stronger lineup but you have to move barry over and i don't know how com- how like comfortable he'll be playing on the left side so that was going to be my question of like i i don't i think you guys make some very valid points just one sec Kyle. i'll let you chug that beer well i mean you can do a lot i need to get this out like, of the way it's getting yeah, late it. in this episode i want to space him out kyle's gonna crank a shotgun here I, right. I, I don't disagree with you that, <laughs> get that's a my question out. mark is barry comfortable on the left side like will he become comfortable because i but i think you guys make some valid points i think that's a very solid option i don't disagree at all how is that kyle oh he's got he's muted he's a little he's horrible dude he made the mistake he's of still working on getting the taste of when we were talking about him shotgunning three consecutively <laughs> he's like well i got six percent and i'm like well why? Like you did that to yourself. I mean, that was your choice to get six percent beer. You could have shotgun Nickelodeon ultras. That was there was no, there was no specifics on that. I can't tell if Kyle's just stretching yeah, or if he's shot- really struggling right now because his mic is still muted. 
<laughs> oh yeah. He's oh, oh, he's making the run. He's, <laughs> he's taking the run. He's taking the run. Oh yeah. Okay. Kyle wow, is a... currently vomiting. So, so is this a, is this a usual? Is this a usual occurrence for you guys? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> I I'd say we like we're having a couple of drinks tonight, but I'd say we drink on like less than I don't know thirty percent of our podcasts. Um, I mean, maybe we'll have a beer oh, too, good. but oh, the good. shotgunning I... is definitely not a regular occurrence. This is the first time, so <laughs> that's uh, that's funny though. We'll awesome. see. This, pod, we'll see this like podcast won't turn me into an alcoholic. Good to hear. No, no, we're not quite the like Washington guys or the I. I got yeah. the Canucks guys have got a drink. Like, have you have you collabed with the Canucks guys? I haven't collabed with them, no. But I've hopped on some of those after hours, and man, those guys go hard on there. Yeah, they're they're a good group of dudes. I I mean, other than being Canucks fans, they're a great group of guys. But Kyle's back. How, how was that, buddy? I will say, dude, I haven't shotgun a beer since like high school. Like that's <laughs> 10, 12 years ago since I've done that. Whew, I gotta get that under my system. Sorry, <laughs> I feel you know your girlfriend's just like cool. mega fucking <laughs> judging you right now too. Oh, dude, she just did this to me. Fucking huge stare! Like, what are you doing? <laughs> we need to record these videos. Yeah, she so said, "I knew what you were doing." Yeah, <laughs> that's too good. Okay, okay so I, I think we're okay. we're all excited about this defense, and I mean, I think the biggest thing that Tyson Berry brings, and without like this, isn't going to be any hot fucking take, is that the, the dude's a puck moving D man, and I think the other thing is. A lot of guys look at him as a power play quarterback, which he can be without a doubt, but he also produces at five on five throughout his career, which I really like. So, I mean, that's something Holland's talk about, talked about. It's something Tippett's talked about. This team needs to get better at outscoring their opposition at five on five. Like if you take away one of our best of all time power plays of last year and a top two deep, uh, penalty kill, excuse me, like we struggle last year if, if it's not for those special teams. So I do. I'm really excited for what Tyson Berry adds um, to five on five scoring. Obviously, I mean, it's still up in the air of how much of a subtraction is Clefbaum here, assuming he misses the year. Um, but I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, like I normally am, of this time with the Oilers. And you know, I think one of the big things with Clefbaum is when he's healthy he can be a top 30 defenseman in the league. But when he's not, and, and you know, based off our assumptions, he hasn't been healthy for a good chunk of the seasons the last three years. So, I mean, it sucks losing Clefbaum, but also, like, if he wasn't going to be healthy anyways, I think he's a substantially less loss in that situation. Yeah, we we even saw like what what an unhealthy Clefbaum playing looks like, and it's not very good, right? Think about the the few games he was playing before he went and had soldier, uh, shoulder surgery a couple of years ago. Like those were some of the worst games I've seen Oscar Clefbaum ever play. Were, were those games, and that was all because he was feeling uncomfortable. So, I mean. At what point do we talk about Oscar Clefbaum though? He's great when he's playing, but it feels like the dude's hurt or missing time, like a significant amount of time, like every season at this point. So when do we start, you know, thinking about like, Hey, this guy might have an injury issue and we want to move on from him. Well, and I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, there, there was a lot of reports not confirming, but alluding to that, like this guy might retire 
he might be done. Like yeah. they're talking about potentially an arthritic shoulder where, you know, Clefbaum with a left arthritic shoulder, like, is that a solid NHL defenseman? Probably not. Like that, that's something you don't want to be dealing with while you're a professional athlete. So, I mean, I, I think that the biggest, the toughest part of this is they're kind of in no man's land a little bit. They're in limbo where if you knew he was going to be out for the year at minimum, you can still make moves, but that's, we don't know that. Like he hasn't opted for surgery. He's still seeing specialists every day from the last report that came out. And we really just don't know which way this is going to go. And I mean, as an Oilers fan who likes Oscar Clefbaum, I really hope that treatment's able to get him back to a hundred percent, but it's also in this situation. It's tough to be optimistic about that. So it's something that Holland's definitely going to have to, you know, he's going to have to consider here where it's like, I mean, as far as moving forward, you've got a plan for the worst case scenario. And that's that Clefbaum is either going to be a shell of the defenseman he was when he was in his prime before his injuries really started bringing him down a notch or that he might be done. I mean, the silver lining to me is I'm I'm happy that we've taken defensemen the past couple drafts in the first round, having Bouchard and Broberg coming up to be able to potentially replace losing him in the next couple of years is is like literally the only plus side to that. There's nothing good from losing Clefbaum. Yeah, no, I don't want to see him gone at all. I think like he's been our best defenseman for years now. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to see him gone. It's just like, there's so many injuries at this point. Like you said, like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, is it, is it still on the table that he's going to start the season or has it officially, he's going to miss the beginning of the season? I mean, so I think, or do we not know? We don't know, but here, here's my take. So right now they're shooting for a January 1st start. Now that is extremely tentative due to the world situation right now of COVID. Um, As well as he still has not opted for surgery. So in my opinion, if he was going to be done opening day, you've got to imagine that he would have got surgery. Now I'm not an arthritic doctor, not an arthritic surgeon. So take that with a grain of salt, but that's my immediate feeling where it's like, he's still considering not surgery, not going the surgical route. So I don't think he's ruled out, but I think what was it? Dreger that had tweeted out that it was very, very unlikely that Clefbaum was going to play significant games for the Oilers this year. So based off the reports, like I said, I think you're planning for worst case scenario and you're assuming that's going to be the case. But the other thing is it's kind of handcuffing. If he's not going to be playing, if he's not going to be playing games either too, it's better for our situation and for him really to just tell him to take the year off, put him on LTIR and rehab his shoulder the best he can. Or if he's going to be coming back as a shell of himself. With the signing of Barry coming in, I think it's anything but official. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I think we're at like 95% chance this guy's missing like mm-hmm. largely the season. So I, I think this this is a good time to talk about the LTIR boys we were talking about before. So LTIR is something that can be explained simply, but it, there's definitely a lot more uh, convoluted aspects of it as well. So Puckpedia did the Oilers and us a favor, or this fans and us a favor, of tweeting out specifically how this was going to work for Clefbaum. So I'm just going to read this. It's a couple tweets long, so so bear with me and my my reading ability here. But 
They say the Oilers could maximize their LTIR pool if their opening day 20 to 23 player roster is just under 81.5 million, which is the salary cap. Then right after that, they could place Clefbaum on the LTIR and have an LTIR pool close to his 4.167 million cap hit and can exceed the cap by that pool. So if they cannot be under the $81.5 million cap on opening day, so they're over that cap without Clefbaum on LTIR, then their LTIR pool is how much they're over the cap which would likely be less than 4.167 million, which is Clefbaum's hit, unless they make additional moves and or have multiple players on LTIR. They finished this tweet with, other potential issues is if he returns partway through the season, to activate him and no longer be an LTIR, the annual cap hit of the roster that day needs to be under the cap, which is dif- difficult to do by just sending players down if the cap hit far exceeds the cap number or the cap limit. So more or less what they're saying is you either in an ideal situation, you're just under that $81.5 million cap. Then you put Clefbaum on the LTIR and you get his 4.167 million relief minus whatever the difference between the cap and what you're at is at. So if you're at 80 and a half million, you only get 3.167 million in cap hit or cap relief, excuse excuse me. So if they're not able to be under the $81.5 million cap, then it makes sense to be over it by the 4.167 million number because once if you're over it, then you get that relief and it clears up and now you're under the cap because you're getting that relief. So it's kind of this, you know, juggling act The only concern is if you're over it and you spend over, like they say in the last tweet, and then he comes back, now you're you're more or less in a very difficult situation where you need to get cap out of your team to activate him. And every team in the NHL is going to know that. So that's not an ideal situation. The one thing that I saw this comment on Reddit that before I get your guys' take here, that I really I really thought was a great point is that Holland has had a lot of experience in Detroit dealing with the cap or with dealing with LTIR. He's had several years of balancing this as well as obviously the Oilers, like every NHL team, they have cap specialists where like literally these guys' jobs is to clarify for Holland and do all those calculations to benefit the team the most. So I'm curious what you guys think, but before I flip it over to you guys, one last thing I want to add um, Cap Friendly has this great tool of assist armchair GM where you more or less take control of the Oilers and you can play around with moving players out, signing players, putting them LTIR. So at the start of the season, if they were to sign Ethan Bear for a modest one year, 1.5 million cap or a cap hit. Now, this is the tough part of our prediction where we really don't know where Bear's going to come in at, but that's the number we're projecting him at. That's probably a little bit optimistic, especially if you're going for two or three year bridge deal. He's getting more than that likely. But just for this kind of um, example, we're going to use that. So you would send, um, who is it? We sent Yamamoto down because signing Bear to that actually puts us over the cap. So at the start of the season, you would send Yamamoto down because he doesn't have to clear waivers, which would get you about $120,000 underneath the cap. 
Then you put Clef Bomb on LTIR and you bring Yamamoto back up. So for anyone listening that wants Yamamoto on their on the Oilers team, which everybody should, fear not. So with those transactions at the moment with this roster, with a full 23-man roster, the Oilers are projected 2.536 million in cap space. Now that's with Evan Bouchard as your seventh D-man, Gaetan Haas and... Um, Archibald Cassian as your, I guess it'd be Haas and Nygaard likely as your 13th and 14th forwards. So my question to you guys, is this something where let's assume that Holland is fairly confident that Clefbaum is going to be out for the year. Are you using that cap and trying to add another player in this situation? Or are you just kind of saving that cap for maybe deadline acquisitions where are you guys at here? And let, let's start with let's start with you, Kyle. Do you think this roster's good enough, or does Holland need to be continue being aggressive? Well, to answer your first question, like mid question that you were in, Holland dealt with the host of situation in Detroit, so I have the utmost faith in him to get the proper thing done here in LTIR if that's what it goes for for him. Now, with that cap, I mean, obviously we need a winger, or we would like to add a winger to the top six. I I don't know if I'm comfortable spending that money before a deadline acquisition to have that cap space available there, as well as if Clefbaum does come back in the future, having money to work with that we can somehow move maybe 2 million out instead of having to do a full four. I, yeah, I, I, I always like having like a million free in cap room i hate being right against the cap it always it, it caps you like it it handcuffs, it handcuffs you and, and looking at you Vegas when you here, when you like, go to to the yeah. trade deadline it's it's a horrible situation to be in when you're in a place where you'd like to make one move but in order to make it work you're gonna have to get rid of a player that's part of your roster and making it work already so i'm in the camp of sitting and waiting so one thing I want to add is Holland has also said what Kyle just said, where he typically likes to have one to one and a half, two million of cap space going into a season. So um, before we hear from that, you, Michael, sorry, the one yeah. the one thing I do want to add is, let's say we go with what Kyle had said of adding another winger. Is is Joachim, assuming there's not a trade of a winger going out, Joachim Nygaard is likely that winger getting sent down to make space. Is that correct? Are we kind of on the same page there? Mm-hmm. Tough, tough to say, but he's also the, the cheapest one. So let's throw him down. So, oh shit. Oh, why is it making me refresh this page? That's unfortunate. So you would go from that 2.536 to add another 870,000. So you're looking at that two point or sorry, 3.7 range. So to stay yeah. in that gap, yeah. Holland's still able to spend two and a half million dollars on a winger while set, if you send a play, cause you have to send a player down there to, to maintain that, I guess. So the question is, is if we're also projecting that you're keeping this roster until opening days. So it's not a move he could make now, unless he decides to just go all in and spend 4.167 over the cap to get that maximum relief from Clef Bond. But where, where are you at uh, there, Michael? Uh, I'm still worried about the defense. Um, I'd I'd still love, you know, maybe the, I was looking at the the unrestricted free agents right now. Um, Brandon Manning is still available. I just want to put that out there to all NHL teams that want to sign him. Brandon Manning is still a unrestricted free agent. 
Um, so we could look at doing that, but in actuality, Sammy Votnin is still available. I don't know what his price tag would be, um, but I would maybe look at bringing him in on like another like small one-year deal like Barry. I bet you can probably get Votnin for a little cheaper than Barry. Actually, I mean, it really depends because I'm sure there are teams that are looking to sign him right now, but he's lasted this long. Like he made it out of almost the first week of free agency uh, without being picked up. And that's sort of when you start to see players like their original asking price start to drop a little bit. So I'd love to see us maybe go out and, and get just just someone that so we don't have to play Chris Russell that's every exactly night. exactly what I was going to say. If we sign defense as your next option, shipping Chris Russell out. I've been Obviously, wanting right? I've been wanting to <laughs> trade Russell. I thought to be honest, I thought Russell was gonna be traded already. I really thought, especially the with the way the goalie market that. looked. And obviously they've re-signed Smith now, but I really thought Chris Russell was going to be a part of a bigger goalie package this offseason, and it didn't happen. So I am sitting here completely surprised that he's still a part of the team. Excuse me. The the issue with Russell is that so he has a 15 team trade list. Now, I think there's some teams because he only makes 1.5 million of real cash this year with a 4 million cap hit. And and there's teams that would take Russell for not like you wouldn't have to add much of an asset. Like maybe you're maybe you're trading Russell for like Russell and a fifth round pick for like a sixth round pick. And there's probably teams that take on that cap hit just to hit the floor, add a veteran guy for their young rebuilding teams for a year. But the issue is, is Chris Russell's an Alberta kid. So if he doesn't want to leave, and I haven't looked through all of this, but I guarantee you could pick 15 teams right now that would not trade for Chris Russell. Like if he really wants to see an Oiler, he's like, okay, here's my 15 team trade list. It's Toronto, it's Vegas, it's Calgary. It's like all these teams that are tight to the cap and don't need Chris Russell. So I'm as much as I think Russell is an NHL D man that if the cap had gone up, he's easily movable. I almost I'm kind of backtracking on that where like I don't think Russell is movable at this point with his no trade clause. Well, so, so I'm, I'm looking at teams that are that obviously need to meet the cap floor. So I'm looking at Detroit and um, you know Ottawa, and I'm like you know well maybe there's like a defenseman or a winger there that we'd like to have, and I'm looking at their rosters and. You know what? It makes sense why they're so far away from the cap floor. Holy crap. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like, and and getting back to the point, like, if Russell doesn't want to leave, he's not going to He would just mark that he doesn't want to go there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. And so it, it's, a, it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. I don't know what you do with it, but, I mean, my ideal, like, if I'm playing GM, I'm looking to see what Votnin's price tag is right now because that's my biggest hole of weakness for the Oilers. I think – while we are missing in uh you know a top six winger or something like that, I think our offense will be able to hold its own. My biggest thing is keeping pucks out of the net. And especially with the re-signing of Smith, I want to make sure our defense is as po- strong as possible because Smith gives me fits every time he is in net. And I know Tippett likes Smith, so I expect Smith to start at least half of the games, if not more this season. So my biggest thing is still defense. Like, I'm worried about that defense, and I'm looking to add someone in with the cap space that Clefbaum will give us. So I before we go over to goalies here, because I completely agree with what you just said. So I'm kind of torn on this, but if you're looking at bringing in another impact player, currently our right wing 
is Cassian, Chase on Yamamoto, Archibald, and Puyarvi. Now, all those guys are making NHL caliber money. I mean, minus Yamamoto, but he's in your lineup. So, is Chase on a guy you look at trading? Because I, I, I'm, I'm torn on this. Again, for what return? What, for a cap space. Anyone that's listened to our podcast knows this. So, I, let me just flat out ask the question because no one's bringing him up. How does Ken Holland bring back Andreas Athanasiu? And I want your guys' genuine question or answers here, but keep in mind if you don't give a realistic option, and if that doesn't happen, I will literally burn this fucking podcast to the ground. So how do how do we make this work? So, Jesus. <laughs> uh you tell Anathy Anasiu does not fucking ask for four point five million or whatever he's expecting to get. He's he got offered two point five was the rumor from here. That's a hell of an offer. Two point five? Yeah, for one year was apparently the rumor that he got offered. So the Which big thing is, it seems still is a lot of teams. Clef bombs going to a lot of, are. Yeah, I mean, a lot of teams it seems are going with the the one year options. I think COVID scared a lot of teams, so they don't know what the next season is going to look like. So they're signing a lot of players to one year. We're going to see how things go. And I think you saw this with Barry with Edmonton. I think Barry is actually going to be pretty receptive to re-signing in Edmonton as well. But I think this was one of those things that's like you were you didn't have a great season last season. COVID sort of made things, you know, interesting. So we're going to give you a, a year deal, maybe a little bit of a pay cut, see what you can do and then resign you maybe to a little bit of a longer deal once we have a regular NHL season back. Well, um, players are taking the short term at, just because escrow is going to be so bloody high this year, too. So, like, I mean, you brought it up, Michael, before right before we started recording, Taylor Hall signed in Buffalo. And I mean, that was a big surprise to us, but it's like he probably got the most money he could get on a one-year deal because he knows escrow is going to be stupid high this year and he's likely going to get a bigger payday next summer. So I think that's a perfect place to start. Okay, so Taylor Hall is a top-line winger who can put up an unreal amount of points. He, is, he has an MVP un- under his belt. Taylor Hall is a elite, elite winger in this league. He signed for one year, $8 million flat with Buffalo. Now, Andres Athanasiu wanted half of that for one year. So that means Andres Athanasiu thinks he is, from the money standpoint, I know it's not the same, is half of what Taylor Hall is worth. And I would now like to pose the question to Athanasiu, Really? Is that like, really half of Taylor Hall on? He's a good player. He's fast. He's got hands. I like him. I was screaming for Athens CU to be an oiler for the last three years. And we traded and we picked him up. And now there's the potential of losing him, but we have the potential of losing him. We have like, I don't know. it, It, he has everything we need, but I just think he has to be realistic with where teams are at and the leagues are at and know that he's not going to be getting half of Taylor Hall money and he should take what we gave him and, and see how he does and then ask for half of Taylor Hall money. Like if Athens CU can sign for one year 2.5 or whatever the, the number is and then he puts up 25 goals, 50 points, 
by all means ask for four million. But the way he played at the end of last season with the Oilers and in that little like I get it was a tiny stint. He was injured a little bit as well. There were a lot of moving pieces with him, but I think he has to be realistic with himself. And I think the Oilers have to be realistic. I'd love to see him back. But if he's asking for half of Taylor Hall money, that's just something you can't give him. And even with Detroit before that, like he had 10 goals in 46 games on pace. for like Exactly. 18, he didn't have that goals. good of a like, season. Yeah. That's not half yeah. of Taylor Hall money. It's just not. And he'll come to that realization, whether that's of his own volition or if that just happens naturally from no one's on giving him that deal. Like uh, these guys are going to get pinched. So I- I'm still, I, I don't know. I, I think Athens, he wasn't a great fit because he's a driver and that's why I look at him where it's like, he's a guy I'd love to have, especially if you have Ennis in the top six, he's a guy I'd love to have on that third line. Even though when we were talking about before, it still doesn't solve your problem of that third line is probably not going to defend super well, but at least you're adding that scoring ability on the third line for this, especially if you're playing with Turris and Puyarvi. like that, that's a solid third line. And Athens, you adds a driver to that line, that speed, that puck carrying ability to two guys that are more different style players from those puck carriers. Even though Puyarvi is kind of showing it in the SHL, but until that happens in the NHL, I'm not confident in that. And I mean, yeah, there's I mean, other I don't guys too. With you guys at all? It basically, has to be that. There's other left wingers. Puyarvi scoring twenty this season. Puyarvi's putting up twenty this season. I'm oh, I'm counting, calling it right now. Puyarvi's putting up twenty. <laughs> I, I think that's a legitimate shot, especially if they play a full year. But I, I just, my biggest thing on Puyarvi, as we kind of start talking about him more, it, his attitude and, and going into the interview, he said everything he needed to say. Like, it's mm-hmm. it might just be a bunch of talk, but from what we've heard, that guy has matured and his English has gotten better. It's still not great, but... I don't know if you guys watched the interview on uh, Oilers Now or whatever, or Oilers Live. I always get confused between those two. But he was, you could tell his speaking isn't like 100% by any means, but he was understanding the questions a lot better, which I think is way more important, especially when you look at like understanding the coach's instruction and your teammate's instruction. Like his speech will improve the more he's immersed in that, but he seems to be understanding those questions a lot better, which is a great sign. And he seems to have matured. Let's. Uh, I, mean, I have high hopes for him. I hope that he fills out. Why wouldn't you? I mean, fuck. If he fills out and can become a top six winger like we wanted, that pick that we thought we were going to get that was maybe a third rounder for him just turned out to be, you know, the pick he was supposed to be. I yeah. love I love Puljujarvi from the moment we drafted him. Like I was I was all on the pool party bandwagon, mm-hmm. and. He scored that first goal against, uh, oh man, who was it? Uh, Brian Elliott in Calgary. And I was losing my mind. And then he went on to have a disappointing season. And I just thought it was such a loss. And like you said, like we were expecting a second, maybe a most likely a third round pick for him. I'm, I'm really excited to see him back in the fold, to be honest. And all right, here, I'll say this right now. If he puts up 20 goals, I will buy a Yessi Pugliari jersey. There you go. I'm not I'm not taking I'm honestly like scared of buying jerseys now. So 
I, I bought an Athanasiu jersey straight out. So 13 <laughs> games, and it looks like he's not yeah. fucking coming back. Oh, so. Wait, 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 wait. You have an Edmonton Oilers Andreas Athanasiu jersey in like, your home right now. No, so it, it. back in Edmonton, yes, because I'm in Montreal. But back in Edmonton, in my closet, I have an away Athanasiu jersey that I bought from um, Cool Hockey, which, by the cool way, hockey. while we're bringing them up, use code THPN. Uh, coolhockey.com slash THPN and THPN at checkout for 30% off. I bought a fucking official, authentic Athanasiu jersey for like 250 bucks. <laughs> Hand-stitched too. Yeah. Hand-stitched, yeah. That is... But to be fair... So then I obviously know what you want to happen with Athanasiu this offseason. I will literally burn this podcast to the ground. You guys thought I was joking. I will like... I, I will burn it to the <laughs> ground, guys, if he doesn't resign. Like, I'm done. So, but here's the thing. My roommate has been ruthlessly chirping me about that. And, and like, fair enough. I can take that on the chin. That's no problem. Like, it's deserved. But 28 was my football number, which is, so that's cool. Like, a little side piece. But also, I've been a fan of Athens U for, like, two, two and a half years. And like you were saying, Michael, of wanting him to come to Edmonton, uh, that was my situation as well. And I kind of look at it where it's like, Hey, even if he doesn't pan out, he doesn't sign. He's still it's one neat. of my favorite players in the league. And he had a little stint with Edmonton. So I really have no problem with the Jersey, but I will like, I'll admit that it's a little fucking embarrassing spending that much money on a Jersey. Like I also, I bought, so I feel like you have to wear that to every live game you go to. That the Oilers play. <laughs> I mean, I that's the thing, like, that's, that's my thing is like, that's neat. Like in a couple years when, when no one even remembers, th- it'll be this, that you know, like he... Jersey to bring out and people will be like, what, why, why do you fucking have that? And I'll be like, hey, you who know, buys that? Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Listen, I, I almost bought a Koskinen Jersey just for that very reason. Yeah. Hey man, I th- goalies never get like unless you have a fucking like Carey Price. Goalies never get enough representation in the fan base jersey wise. So hey, so I mean, we're talking about goalies. Fan. Do you guys want to look at the the Oilers goalies because there was a little bit of stuff that happened there as well. Yes. So let's go there. The last thing I want to say is I just bought one of the Ethan Bear with the Cree writing in an Edmonton third. If you get oh, that's trading. so cool. That's so cool. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm a big Jersey guy. So like it was something that I was just like, hey, this is like this is too unique. I love Ethan Bear. I think it's a great step that the NHL made. And we've also talked about like uh, First Nations and the and the issues as the all the the racial stuff in the states is going on. We talked about that in Canada, so I'm like, this is a perfect fit. I think it's just a badass jersey. Um, is it um is it just the regular jersey or is it like their alternate jersey? It's like it's what, their what alternate. Jersey. So it's the dark blue. That's so sick. Yeah. That's so I, cool. I got it. So I'm in Quebec right now for work, and I got it shipped to my parents' house so I didn't have to pay the Quebec sales tax. So my I like uh not FaceTime, but I like duo like video chatted with my mom. As she was like, un- because I was like, I need to see it. Just unbox it for me. So uh-huh. she like did it while I was on <laughs> chat with her. And I was like, oh, that's so dope. And I'm probably not going to get that's to see so it for cool. like a year. <laughs> but oh well. Um, but yeah, let, let's pivot into the goalies. So you had kind of mentioned this before, uh, Michael. And I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, my I'll, I'll open up with my take and I'll see what you guys think. I'm, I'm not like super opposed to Mike Smith being the 1B. It's not ideal. My question is... I've got to hope that he had other offers on the table because I don't know why you make that contract move now. Like explore the trade market for another week or another two weeks or another month. Like is Mike Smith really, uh, you know, a, 
a, a guy that other teams are going to try and poach from you. Like I imagine he would have sat on the market for a while. That being said, we don't know because that goalie market, there was so many goalies and like two days in, they were any of any, any of the ones of, of actual, like solid consistent ability were fucking gone in 48 hours. Yeah. I just like, did you see Mike Smith getting 2 million with the included bonus anywhere else? No, I think that's why he signed it so early. I think you were talking about him sitting on the market and seeing what he could do. I think that's why he signed right away. I, I think he wasn't going to get any other offers and Edmonton offered and he inked well, that thing as soon as he got sorry, it. Sorry, my, my point more was like, why did Edmonton offer that at that point in time? Like, why not talk to the other goalies and know that Smith's a backup that you can always come to? And like, with, uh, we're talking I, about I, I worry because you were talking about him being a 1B do you expect him to be a 1B on a Dave Tippett coach team? So that that's my biggest fear. And I had tweeted this out on the Oil Country podcast account where I don't so much hate Mike Smith. My biggest concern with this whole thing is how Tippett deploys the goalies. Like you look at the stats from last year and it's not even fucking close who your guy should be. Game one of the bubble, who's starting? Literally, Mike Smith started way too much throughout I, the year. Like, I understand riding the, the last hand, time we talked, but there were several times that Koskinen was playing as your better goalie, statistically your better goalie, and Mike Smith is still getting half the games. And I look at this where it's like, I think I have no problem with this goalie tandem if Koskinen is getting 55 games in an 82 game season. My question is, is does that happen? And I, I, I don't think it will, which is what scares me. I called Mike Smith getting the first game the last time all three of us talked before the playoffs happened. Yeah, and I, both you me guys disagreed with me, which game. was rightfully the right answer. And it was Smith again. Like, and I mean, I texted John that immediately after the signing happened was like the only thing like that I was pissed off. It's the deployment that Tippett uses him with. He fucking has a hard on for Smith still because of the days in Arizona. So then, it, it, I mean, it sounds like we're all in agreement. I don't hate Mike Smith. I think like he played. He he was a big he reason why we had some backup. success last season. Like there were moments where he was absolutely fantastic during the regular season last season. But like, I don't want to pin it all on him, but he screwed us in that in in the Chicago yeah, series. He absolutely, absolutely screwed us. Like he hamstringed he's hamstringed us. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of things that went wrong with that series, but like, I'm just getting real tired of goals going in because smith isn't in the net and even if it's only like eight to ten a year that's still eight to ten more than and they're always at the worst time too exactly always at the worst time it's it's brutal it's brutal and he'll do it he'll go behind his net when there's a guy already at the fucking blue line it's like what are you doing stay in your net your defensemen are there for you like Go out and pass the puck when our team is at the red line and there was a huge clear in the zone. Fucking game five. one. Game like, one against yeah. Chicago, right? Strom banks it mm-hmm. in from behind and all of a sudden it's a 2-2 game and we lose that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, and, I, and that's my... So there's no I doubt that he's a good puck-moving he goalie. Mm-hmm. He's a good puck-moving goalie, but that's the thing is like, is that really, is that positive as a puck-moving goalie? does that outweigh the negative of him giving up five to 15 bad goal? Probably more than that. Like, what did you say? Eight to 12. I think that's probably pretty accurate. Of I think it's easy around that. Yeah. Like, at right. Least like I figured, right. If he gives, if he gives up one every, you know, like 
10, 15 games. That's right. Like it's, I don't know. And then like you guys were saying, the deployment, Koskinen in every single area, I think maybe except penalty kill is better than Smith, than Smith. And Tippett won't play him like that. And that's what has me nervous. It's not that we brought Smith back. It's only for a year. Like, I don't think it's that big. But if Smith and Koskinen split it even, or if Smith even gets the majority, then then I have an issue with it. And the other I mean, thing Koskinen is... Koskinen himself, too, improved so much last season. 100%. Like, 100%. There, there was doubts on his glove hand heading into this season, which was an issue before. And he seemed to pretty much shore that up. It got shot at the majority of the time, and he seemed to hold it down. His I, positioning I was great. His movement in the crease was fantastic. Like he's definitely the better goalie, no question. And and I know none of us are disagreeing here. It just, I mean, obviously that contract being offered immediately was because Tippett told Holland he wants him. That's yeah, it. I, I, I think mean, you're right. So do I mean? Yeah. Do you guys want to hear who is still available then? Because like you said, all of the good goalies of any worth have been eaten up. So. Number one unrestricted free agent right now is Corey Schneider, Craig Anderson, Jimmy Howard, Mike Condon, Aaron Dell. Do any of those names give you any more confidence than Mike Smith? No. No, absolutely not. And again, it's not the point that we have Mike Smith. I just think his contract shouldn't be what it is. It was offered too fast. Yeah, Yeah, like you you could sit on it. And I think if you were able to... market, And at the end of the day, it's like... It's one of those things that like, I don't even really have a problem with the bonuses. Cause I, I, it, it's very like staggered where it's like, he plays like 20 games. He get a, gets a $50,000 bonus. Like it's up to 500,000. And then the last two are wins a first round while playing two games in that round wins a second round with winning two games in that round. So like chances are, but that, that sounds like that the out. setup of those bonuses sounds like they're going to start him in the playoffs. Like it sounds like they're already well, planning on him being the starter. That's an option for sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing where it's like, right. And, because and bonuses. Yeah. I don't know. Let, let's, let's say one thing. Go ahead. Here. Go ahead. So goalies are fucking voodoo. There's goalies that have in their mid to late thirties have had really good years. So, and had bounce back years. Like it, it's, it's such a weird position and so much based on confidence and, and groove and everything. So, I have no problem if Smith is on a hot run. I have no problem with him playing five, six games in a row. The issue is, is like if the stats with both goalies stay the same as last year, there's utterly no reason why Smith should play more than 30 games. Like that is the absolute cap. And I don't have confidence. Like that is my one big critique of Tippett where I I think he's a good coach. I think he's done good things for our teams or our team. But that, that's my biggest critique and my biggest fear that it's going to go the same way. And if they play 82 games, Smith is going to be playing 42 of them for some wild ass reason of Tippett literally just being stuck in his ways. So, I mean, that's probably my biggest fear. But I mean, let, let's be real. Like Kyle and I talked about it all year. Every time we collaborated with people last year, Kyle, and they asked us about like, what's the biggest surprise with the Oilers success? It was like our biggest, yeah, goal qu- our answer was always our biggest yeah. question mark going into the season was goaltending. And it's been one of our biggest strengths. So I'm not going to turn around and be like, Oh my God, our goalies are fucking alarming. It's just more the deployment of them. And I mean, as well as there's no guarantee that they have a year like they did last year. 
I think I'm more frustrated with the Smith thing because of, of how strong I looked at the goalie market this season. And I felt that there were just so many options that the Oilers could have gone that would have been stronger than Smith, either from free agent or through a trade. And then the fact that to see them miss on everything on all of them and then just bring back Smith, I guess it makes me a little bit more frustrated. I like, so, especially all sorry. morning hearing that the Oilers were in on Markstrom, in on Markstrom, they're in on Markstrom, they're heavy in on Markstrom. And then the flames get them. I don't know. I, I think that's what makes me more frustrated with Smith is because the goalie market was so strong. And then you brought Smith back. The issue is though, Michael is the goalie market was so strong, but I think when you look at the flat cap, everyone was expecting there to be bargains on the goalie market. And there really wasn't like goalies was one of the positions because even though, yes, there was a huge pull of goalie pool of goalies. There was also like, I mean, when you get a pool of goalies, that means a lot of teams lost their goalie too. So like when I look at like Smith and at his contract, and with having Koskinen tied up at another two years for 4.5, there's not very many goalies on the market for the price they got that I'd rather have. I was hoping for Flurry. I thought we were going to trade for Flurry. So Flurry at 50% retained, like the guy's not been a good goalie and he has three years left. I just, my biggest thing is the commitment there. It's like, I don't want to commit to Flurry for three years. And I like yeah, Flurry, he's, he's not I get good that. I don't know. Now. I just, I thought that there were better options than Smith. That, I think that's what it comes down to. I just thought there were better options than Smith. And so to But the problem is you have to pay for those options. Yeah. So on, I, on the plus side, next season's like UFA market for goaltenders doesn't look horrible either. I know that doesn't help us now, but. And we also have Rodrigue Kanovalov Skinner as a year older, like. Kanovalov's had a really good start in the KHL year. We drafted him as an older goalie. Is he ready for a 1B position next year? Like, I'm not confident, but we'll have a better idea at the end of this season. I just, and, and with Markstrom, too, I, I think, like, Holland said his number. It was five years, or seven years for five million, and Calgary offered him another million, and, and we backed out. And I, I don't... I don't have a problem with that. I like Markstrom and I would have been excited to have him, but I don't know. I, I just look at it where it's like Holland said this multiple times and I agree with him where it's, you can't pay. Like you can't overpay for two goalies. It's like it, it paying with, with how tied up the money is at the top part of our lineup, paying $10 million for two goalies is not a recipe for success. I, I got to be honest with you. I think that if we had Markstrom, uh, I think that we were looking at cost getting moved out on a trade and still probably having Smith back. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And Markstrom's mm-hmm. probably playing 60 games for us. That makes sense. At least. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you like, let's talk about what Calgary did. So they, like they brought in Markstrom at a six by six and then they brought in Tanev at, what was it? Like 4.5? For shit, sorry, I'm just looking it up. They brought in Tanner for four years at 4.5. Like, what do you think about what they did? Because honestly, like, I a lot of Oilers fans on Twitter especially went from, like, really wanting Markstrom to, like, 
the Flames paying a million dollars more than was rumored to us. And then all the Oilers fans are like, you guys paid Markstrom that much? And I'm like, honestly, I don't hate that contract for the Flames. Yeah, so I don't I don't hate that contract at all. I like Markstrom. I think he's going to uh, be a good goalie. And I think, listen, we were planning on giving him seven years. So if you, you guys are upset about the length, they gave him six. They gave him a, they gave him a mil more, but a year less. So, yeah. like, it might be a, a little bit more money for a goalie than maybe you're comfortable to spend. But I think he's going to give you really strong years during his during his contract. So I think money wise, I think like that's a payment you have to make. The thing that I laugh at Calgary for is you think goaltending and Tanev is going to fix your team, especially coming from a Dallas podcast where I watched Dallas and that flame series very closely. Um, Cam Talbot gave them a fighting chance. The goaltending wasn't their downfall in that series. So the fact that they think Markstrom's going to come in while Markstrom is going to give them a lot of a, like a much better goaltending effort than I think Talbot and Riddich will on a night basis. Like there's still something wrong with their forward core. Like there's still something off there. Yep. So I, I don't think Markstrom's gonna right the ship. I agree. I don't I don't dislike what they did, and I mean I think Tanev, especially with losing Brody, I think Tanev is like a B signing to replace that. But I mean I agree with you that I think they have other issues. But I also look at like when you talk about Markstrom, just this last year, Koskinen put up more or less, like it was practically identical numbers you can look at a tweet we sent out a couple days ago on the podcast page and and all of their numbers are pretty much on par so do i want markstrom for like let's say that markstrom for us to sign him over calgary was the same seven years we had on the table but it was the same money that calgary signed so six million for seven years till he's 37 years old i'll rather have Koskinen for another two at 4.5 Especially with the cap situation, and yeah, just not knowing what's going to happen the next two, three, four years. I like Koskinen. I've I've always liked I Koskinen. Too. I know people were upset, and there were a lot of questions after that first year, but especially after last season, like I don't really have a lot of concerns about Koskinen anymore. Like you said, he shored up his glove hand. He was getting lit up that first season on his glove hand, and so he he went in and he was like, you know what, I'm not going to get scored on the glove hand anymore, and he worked on it. So. That's that's all you can ask from your goalie. And like you said, we're going to be rid of Koskinen a lot sooner than the Flames are going to be rid of Markstrom. And who knows what goal. And like you said, goalies are voodoo. We could have one of our goalies in the system pop off and and take that role. And who knows what the goalie market's going to look like in three years. You know, like John Gibson could be available and then maybe you, you make a run for him or something like that. There, like yeah. There's a lot of variables. So the fact that the Flames are willing to lock themselves in for that much money into Markstrom uh, like right off the bat, and I believe they gave him at least uh, some sort of some form of no move clause. Uh, am I right? It was, on that? yeah. I believe it was a full no move. Yeah, so they they have locked themselves in to Jacob Markstrom for the next time. Like he is your number one goalie now, and if for some reason that goes sour, as we know goalies could happen, uh, they're stuck with him. So I I think the Oilers are. I think the Oilers that, are pretty uh, safe stuck with the uh, with with Koskinen, at least for now. So happy we have Koskinen, but I don't think it was a bad signing by any means for Calgary. Calgary spent, I think, like four first round picks in the last twenty years on goaltenders. Like they've been looking for 
a goaltender to replace Kippersoff. And that's yeah. been what, 13, 14 years now. Like yeah. I, I definitely didn't make their team incredibly better by any stretch. Like I agree. There's a lot more issues with that team than their goaltending, but uh, same as Vancouver, right? Like I don't think they upgraded at all. They lost a bunch of players and got Holpe, like, which I love Holpe, but come on. I saw predictions saying I saw predictions saying that oh, fuck I, I I wouldn't even say it if I remember who wrote it because I'm not gonna out a guy like that. But there was an article saying that after three <laughs> three days. Sorry, I just said just throw some guy under the bus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, not that like we're not, like we're not a big enough name to like really railroad a guy, but like it was some yeah. writer that was talking about how Vancouver through two days of free agency. They were predicting them to win the Pacific. And I was like, they lost. Who did they lose? Stetcher, Markstrom, Tanev. And Tanev. they haven't signed to Foley. And they brought in Holtby. And like, yeah, they're young. They're a young, exciting team with some good talent. But I'm like, what? Like, I honestly, I think their peak is third next year in the Pacific. I still think the Oilers are favorites for second. But even if yeah. Vegas gets Petro, so are you are you saying Vegas is first then? Yeah, I think even if they don't get yeah, Petro, they're such a deep yeah. team. Yeah. Like they're so well rounded. If they get Petro somehow, like if they can move Flurry and get Petro, I'm terrified of that team. Like that's a scary ass team, man. But that's a lot of risk for them too. Where I don't know, man. Vegas came into this league and they're like. So like, hey, we had a really good Dude, first year, big, but like, we just get there. better every summer, right? That's how this works. Like, we just sign whoever we want and continue to just get better. Like, while we just bitch slap you, other teams. Can you imagine all the Vegas fans in like two, three years? All the Vegas fans that have just been watching their team win and win and win and win, and then actually have to experience a rebuild. Like, I oh, wonder how that fan shambles. base will react. <laughs> And like, hey, credit where credit is due. They've built a fan base and I'm not going to like call them like fair weather because they really have no, like they've never been through a hard time. And and the, the new Vegas guys on the network seem like really good dudes and they're diehards and it's awesome to see. But I am with you that it's like, if that team, like once they have to go rebuild, I, I just don't see that fan base sticking around. And I say that on a little bit of a high horse being an Oilers fan, but and we have that diehard fan base, but yeah. Um, is there any, any, so before we kind of wrap it up here, boys, um, the Oilers did have their draft. Now, none of the three of us for anyone listening, like we're going to be flat out honest. Like we're, we're not draft guys. We had, um, we had oil night on last week. He did a really good job running it down. I'm bummed that Seth Jarvis just about made it to us, but didn't, um, at the end of the day, I think the, the general consensus is the Oilers had a pretty good draft. They drafted all forwards, but I, I just don't think there's a huge amount of takeaways where we're going to add much to the discussion. And, and it's just, we don't, we'll, we'll admit that we don't know a ton about that. Is there anything with the draft you guys want to talk about or free agency for that? Matter? Nope. We'll have SBR again to recap as far as I'm concerned on that. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope they're good in a couple of years that, that that's about all that's about <laughs> yeah. all i can give for that uh holloway I'm... looks good but i mean i'm sure i watched the high, same highlight clips that you know twenty thousand other oilers fans watch so who knows i'm just gonna kind of regurgitate yeah, i just sometimes credit. i wonder like with all the money our team has how we can't fly outside of alberta to scout players 
this <laughs> we dropped a lot of i mean i don't think sure. they're bad picks but it's just like year after year like how are we finding players in the AGHL? Isn't that the second junior league in Alberta? Like it is, but I mean that's also just, where uh, the cover came from. So like there, there's some good talent in that league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go shock in another beer, Kyle. Throw up. Okay, you got one more. So here's <laughs> I'm just gonna run down. And I'm gonna full out credit Oil Knight on this. So these three, the first three picks, first round, we traded our third round pick for a fourth and a fifth. So Dylan Holloway, big center, biggest uh, strengths are his speed and his work ethic, which I think is awesome. I think that that fits right in with what the Oilers are trying to do um, or what, what they're looking for in a prospect, especially when you're not getting that like elite, elite talent at the top of the first. Um, so he came from the AG, AJHL, like the two of you mentioned, and he transitioned into Wisconsin last year. So he's the Alberta Junior Hockey League MVP the year before this last then he went into Wisconsin where he was like the second youngest NCAA player. He's behind uh, Caulfield and I think it's Zegris, another high-end pick from last year. One and I believe uh, it was Turcotte for a while as well. Sorry, maybe not Zegras. Zegras, maybe it is Turcotte. I think that I think you're right there, Michael. Um, so he had a slow first half of the season adjusting from the AJHL to the NCAA, but then really turned it up in the second half. So the good sign that he had adjusted to that big jump in talent. Um, and then in the fourth, we drafted Carter Savoy. I, I might be butchering the the uh, uh, pronunciation on that, but local to Edmonton kid, also from the AJHL. He scored 53 goals in 54 games in the AJ, which again is a lesser league, but I mean, the, the kid's a goal scorer. Um, Oil Knight says that Savoy has great offensive instincts, creativity, and puck skills. He also has a big shot and release. Some red flags with him are his skating he, and work ethics. He was That's said to have like the second best shot in the entire draft or something. Up yeah. And he, he was, was ranked a, a lot was higher. Like, he was actually ranked like mid fifties, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we, so the, like good value for getting him in the fourth. Like, I don't think a lot of people expected him to be there. Then we go to Tyler to Leo. So he is another guy that SPR, who we really respect his opinion on drafting, especially when it comes to Canadian prospects or North American prospects, I should say. He had him ranked as a second round talent and funny enough, oil night on Twitter and, and in his articles, he was pissed when we traded down the third from the third round because he thought Tyler Toledo was the perfect pick in the third ranked as a second. So then they trade back. Then in the fourth, they draft Carter Savoy. He's still pissed because Tyler Toledo is on the board. And luckily enough, he's there in the fifth, the Oilers to stank. So he was stoked. Great value that we got there. Um, I'll read just a little bit of an excerpt. Check out the oilnight.ca. He said, Talio is a workhorse who gets by on sheer determination and work ethic. He's undersized, but plays bigger than he is. He possesses a big one-time shot that is NHL caliber, good hands and tight, very similar to Brendan Gallagher. And then he wears you down with grinding style and is a pain in the ass to play against. So I'm not going to get deeper into the draft because we just don't know enough about these guys. And honestly, I know what I just read. So, I'm not going to act like some draft guy, but I mean, those three kind of little bios, scouting reports, mini scouting reports, that excites me. I, I'm excited about the the first three picks in the draft. And I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know about you guys, but if two of these guys turn into NHLers, I'll be satisfied. If three or more turn into NHLers, I'll be stoked on this draft. I'm still sitting here sitting like, when was the last time we heard about like, 
Raphael Lavoie and that sort of stuff. Like that's, that's that for me, that's where the draft, where, where I get lost in, in prospects in the draft. It's like, we've brought in these guys. I'm excited about them. And then they're, they're all going to scatter and go and play in their, their junior leagues or the AHL or wherever they go. And, and then I, I'm going to, yeah, exactly. And then I'm going to lose, I'm going to forget about them other than the fact that this, this person is Oilers property at some point in time. Yeah. And then I will remember them when they are actually making an impact either in the AHL or, you know, I, I really, that's why I really like the, uh, the Penticton uh, young guns tournament. That's I, cause that's where I got a lot of yeah. my Oilers draft knowledge was from that. So now that that's not a thing, uh, I'm just sitting waiting. A couple times a year, I read a low tide article and then he raves about one prospect performing well, some fifth round guy. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. I'm really excited about this guy. <laughs> and then like two minutes later, I totally no, forget just about have him. the battle. I'm there. <laughs> but yeah, I think exactly. we're going to wrap so, it up there. So like, listen, sorry, go ahead. I'm excited for him. Congratulations yep. for being drafted by the Oilers and into the NHL. Like that's fantastic. That's, that was my dream at one point. It is now a reality for these guys. Congratulations. And I'll talk to you guys. Or I'll hear about them and we'll talk about them in four years when they're actually potentially are something. And even Holloway. I, think I worked with a bartender that was a second round pick for Chicago. So hopefully it doesn't go that way for them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. there you go. <laughs> hey, Am I doing this just, last beer? Yeah. Just for, yeah, yeah, do it right now as I kind of wind down. Go, go ahead, Cal. I'll, I'll talk over you. Right, good, good, good. Yeah, good. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, oh, number three one. down. There it is. That was a little smoother. Oh. Let's see if he, let's, what, how's the finish? Oh, he's sticking it out. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> that one's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, um shit what was i gonna say totally blanked i've had a couple whiskeys too so slowly starting to lose my train of thought um i don't know it was something about the draft i believe you were wrapping up my friend yeah i'm well i I know there was one last wrap this shit up it's been like two hours let's get out of here john (laughs) okay thank you for listening to another episode of the oil country podcast presented by the hockey podcast network every team everywhere we will catch you guys next week have a great week and stay safe Go Oilers.